Hello, 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 and welcome to the local edition. News and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Friday evening, Patricio Robayo. It's Friday. We made it. Thank you for spending your Friday evening with me. I hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe. I hope you are surviving the holidays. What a week it has been. And we have another big holiday coming up this weekend, New Year's. Tonight, we're wrapping up our look back on some of the more impactful stories that affected us all. Over the past week, we spoke with the Democrat, Delaware Currents, New York Focus, River Reporter, the Times Union. And tonight, since it's Friday, we'll be connecting with Chris Rowley from the Shuangkuk Journal to discuss some of the big stories of this year. So welcome back to the program, Chris. Can you share some of the what are some of the major stories that affected us this year? We had a number of pretty major stories over here at the Shangram Journal during the year, um, but the biggest one, and I think it's, it, I think it resonates with all Radio JFF area as well, is the the news that the former Neville now. Uh, I can't remember what they're calling it, but it's going to be something else. That resort has been bought by the Somerset Partners, uh, who have formed a Catskill Group, basically LLC, that will be managing the transition and the building of what's going to come. Um, that act- so that was actually something real, serious, because we have reported again and again on them going through the planning board process, a very professional uh, application with lots of detail. And, of course, um, this is an extraordinarily complicated application for planning. Uh, and I think the seeker ran to more than 70 pages. Now, I don't know. Any, anybody out there who's familiar with the planning boards and seekers knows that that's a colossal seeker. <laughs> it's, and seeker, by the way, is a state environmental quality review, which has to be completed in New York for just about any application that disturbs the ground or changes the site's uh, overall footprint. Anyway, so that was that. That was one of the biggest stories, or the biggest story. And just very quickly to run that down, what is planned there is the complete removal of all the buildings that were of the Neverly, which are all in ruins. And there's nothing. There's nothing there that, that's salvageable. Even the iconic tower will be taken away. And then there's going to be a complete kind of redo with a new hotel. Not an enormous one. I think it's like 180 keys, they call it. That will be down, or maybe fewer than that, maybe 80 keys. Anyway, it's going to be a new hotel, a luxury hotel, at the southern end of the property with its own sort of entrance to 209. And then along the the eastern side, slightly raised up, climbing up the the first beginning part of the slope of the Shangam Bridge, uh, there will be these villas. And they appear to be, at least from the initial drawings and renderings, that they appear to be what we call high design. That lots of glass, square angles, and very open to the environment. And we'll see if that holds up. Uh, but that's the initial impression we have from seeing the earliest renderings. And there'll be 45 or 50 of them set along the eastern side there. Down below 52, not really visible from 52, but down below it, and with views across the lower part of the valley and the lake and the the stream and so on. So that's part of it. Then there'll be service buildings 
and there'll be a garden that, in the imaginations of those who are doing the planning process, uh, the garden will be used so that guests could go and check out their Brussels sprouts before they have them served. I don't know exactly how that will all work, but it all seems very pleasant. Um, and, and then there's the lake, and then there comes an issue which uh, they are dealing with, and I believe I can just add a little extra news here because the lake acquired some tenants. That is, bald eagles arrived. They looked it over and they said, hey, this is great. This has got fish. It's got a nice tree here. We'll set up, bus- we'll set up for uh, business and reproduction right here. So that's great, but there are rules regarding what you can do within 100 or 200 feet of a bald eagle nest. And those rules don't necessarily include the use of bulldozers and excavators and other heavy construction equipment. So that immediately gives them a problem with NYSDEC. However, uh, we have heard that they had a very good and productive meeting with the DEC to move on around these issues. However, if the bald eagles are going to be staying, that will put a slight crimp on what can be done on that side of the lake. And it might be that you can't have a, I don't know what, bike bike path or hiking trail or anything like that going past their home. Um, bald eagles have rights. It's one of those things. Hey, developers, this happens. Uh, the only thing I could say to the Somerset group is just be thankful that they're not bog turtle. That's all I can say. Yeah. That's, there's, not, there's nothing that makes developers go white at a planning board meeting than hearing the words bog turtle in tone. But uh, anyway, so that's the biggest story, I think, of the year for all of us. Another big story, which is not as enjoyable, is how Crisco Labs have been held up. Um, Crisco Labs obtained local municipal permits at planning for their facility uh, just outside Wawarsing, reusing the now defunct property that was that held the Schrade Knife Factory and before that, of course, the Channel Master Factory, which is all gone. And there's just a concrete slab there with trees growing out of it. But uh, and there is still the VAW building, which is the, uh, as you say, aluminum. <laughs> Funny how I always trip up over that one. There's a smelter there. There was a smelter. Now it's a. It's all set up to be an indoor cannabis grow, medical cannabis for Cresco's legally allowed medical cannabis line to go to their medical cannabis outlets in the city. What hasn't happened is to free them up to obtain retail cannabis outlets. That is all frozen or very, very slowly being approved by the Office of Cannabis Management, which is, from our point of view, it does seem that they're trying to thread the needle. Um, They're trying to find people of one or other communities who were badly hurt by the prohibition on cannabis, maybe imprisoned, maybe lost a business or a house. That sort of person is then being encouraged to become an applicant for a dispensary. But they have to come up with serious money, quarter of a million, and they also probably need to be able to borrow enough money from a bank to start a serious business. Yeah, I hear also a lot of those hurdles that they have to pass, not only the money, but also the expertise, the business plan. I think they have to have some kind of mechanism in place already to have the dispensary. It's a lot of hurdles to just to get to the application part. 
Absolutely, it does. And it seems to be a incredibly long way away from when you went round to see your friend Dogno and score a lead. Hey, man, what you got? That kind of stuff. <laughs> it seems from the dawn of time. Now it's all you know, going to be, as you said, business plans, loan applications, and staff will have to go through all kinds of checks and everything. It's like suddenly applying the real world to the dream world. But hey, um, so but so far uh, it's painfully slow. Uh, really, I it, it, and so far they the office of cannabis management are freezing out what they call the outside companies. That's Cresco and Curaleaf and others, the big companies who, if they can get in, well, they can end up dominating a state. And that's what a lot of people don't want. And the question is, is there no way to have them in and have them restrained in just part of the market? But that apparently is the sort of thing that's being fought over uh, in the councils of the Office of Canada's Management. Meanwhile, in Wawarsing and our area, uh, we sit there twiddling thumbs and really wishing that they would let Cresco go, let them do it, because Cresco would set up their plant and there would be at least a couple of hundred, maybe 300 jobs within a year or two. A very easy, not easy, what am I saying? A very kind of environmentally friendly kind of industry, just growing a high value plant and uh, extracting from it the most useful parts. Anyway, so that's not happening at this point. Right now, it's we're just waiting for it. And uh, the forces on the other side, I don't know. I understand the impulse to have it be people who are harmed and have local people and New Yorkers and all. That's all great. Uh, will it actually work? And will there ever be enough dispensaries? Because in the meantime... The old world just carried on. In the meantime, uh, New York City is full of people who are consuming cannabis in one way or another, and they're just buying it from an illegal market. Yeah, there, there's tons of where illegal pop-ups happening. I, I, you know, if you just go anytime in this past summer into the city, if you've gone to any of the street fairs, there's vendors there uh, have tables set up, set up with product there. Um, now you mentioned the slow rollout. We talked about in previously the Kingston Cannabis uh, Holiday Fair thing that was going to happen. You also yeah. have the other side of these local farmers who are sitting on this product and they can't re- legally sell it uh, for those who want to sell it legally. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things we've learned that we didn't really know before is it's a, it's a fragile product. It degrades. Sitting in a barn, it gradually goes off. Um, it's it's just and a lot of people at that end have invested a lot of money and will could go broke because of this. And so, thank you, Office of Cannabis Management, for not getting anything together for us to sell this product that you encourage us to grow. It's like a repeat of the hemp disaster a few years ago where. People were encouraged to grow hemp for the CBD market, which was then discovered to be much smaller than anything they had imagined, and vast amounts of hemp just rotted. People really do need to think it all through and get it together. Uh, yeah, so yeah, but on that score, uh, Allenville did not have its projected um, cannabis pop-up or street fair thing. Uh, because it just wasn't organized quickly enough at the end. It wasn't enough time. Uh, so the only one that we know of that's been functioning has been the New Paltz one, and, and New, New Paltz has been doing it. However, this all, according to the Office of Cannabis Management, comes to an end on midnight, December the 31st, uh, and that's when the program will be shuttered. And, of course, what we don't know is will there be pressure to renew it next year because 
Oh, there's still all this product to move. Again, battle after battle, struggle. It seems to be the New York way. Um, meanwhile, I just heard on the radio that one of the largest dispensary outlets in Massachusetts is going to become employee-owned and is making boodles of money and uh, doing great business. Why is it possible for Massachusetts to do this? New Jersey's doing it. Yeah. Why is they? Yeah. Why can they get it going? But New York, we're, we're mired in a very slow and grim kind of process. It seems there's money for New York State to be to had on this taxes on the product that's grown oh. there, and it just seems like this money's just being in a way burned up. Um, uh, because they're not moving fast enough. Like you said, the other states like New Jersey and Massachusetts have moved forward, and I can see the profits the states are making from the sales. Oh, no, there's no question. Once the market gets established, right now the market, which is illegal, is easily the second largest market in the country after California. But just, let's be clear. New York and California are way out in leading markets for this kind of product. But all the money that's being made now is in the illegal channel, and a lot of it is going to, unfortunately, to cartels who are destroying California's wilderness to grow illegal cannabis, using harsh pesticides and having guys sitting around guarding it all with AR-15s. That's the end of that's what's happening out there. Um, well, also, I want to speak on locally. I know already in the past couple of weeks, right before the end of the year, two applications have gone through the planning board uh, for two towns here in Sullivan County. I think one in Highland and I think in one in Monticello for a dispensary. Uh, you remember back in when during the Cuomo years, uh, counties and villages had to opt in or opt out. And but, but since then, I have not seen any applications come through down the pike. And already this past couple of months, uh, two of them have come up in Sullivan County. Well, there we go. So it is inching forward. That's really good to hear. And it could happen. And maybe it'll happen a little more quickly than we think. Uh, that's what we would hope. But will it help us or help the town of Warsing in our area uh, in terms of Cresco Labs and a major plant producing a lot of product? That's another matter. We just don't know. Um, but so anyway, so that's where we're at with cannabis at this point. So it's been a year of kind of disappointing stories on that. We were talking to Chris Rowley from the Schwankart Journal, looking back at 2023. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You are listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hi there, I'm Jason Tudor, host of The Mixtape on WJFF. The holidays are upon us, and a new year is on the way. From all of us here at WJFF, thank you for listening. Have a safe and festive holiday season, and a happy new year. Ten members. Nine. Eight ounces. Seven Olympics. Six trials. Five ingredients. Four. Three cups. Two worlds. The one that got away. 2024 is almost here, but there's still time to count yourself among the supporters who keep this station on the air year-round. Do it now. Here's how. Make your year-end tax-deductible donation before December 31st at WJFFradio.org.
Welcome back. You're listening to The Local Edition. I'm your host, Patricio Robayo. We're talking to Chris Rowley from the Schwankirk Journal, taking a look back at the year that was 2023 and some of the big stories that graced the pages of the Schwankirk Journal. And Chris, one of the big stories, one of the big events that happened for Ellenville last year was the the reopening or the soon-to-open Borscht Belt Museum and the festival that came along with it. I attended this festival in Ellenville, and it was a great experience to be in Ellenville. I've been to Ellenville a couple of times and never been to an actual festival there, like the famous Blueberry Festival. Uh, and it was great. It's great to see a lot of people out there and, and seeing the museums. They had these pop-up art shows that dealt with the Borscht Belt, and it was really all these vendors, Borscht Belt vendors there also. It was a really great time uh, to be in Ellenville. Yep, that's right. It was the first one. It drew a very healthy crowd. Um, I saw you there. Um, yeah, it was it was quite successful. Uh, and the rain came early, and then it came very late. So <laughs> in between, everybody was able to look at the stalls and visit the various things to see, including a remarkable gallery exhibition of the Master of Schlock Art. So it was a very successful thing. And it's an additional <clears throat> festival on our summer itinerary of those things. Um, that was really good. And of course, it goes with the Borscht Belt Museum, which the uh, the Catskill group that's behind the Neverly project, they helped with that as well. Um, and it, it, they bought the old Ellenville National Bank building, which is on the corner of 209 and Canal Street. Um, and that is going to be, it's already been gutted. It's being ter- going to be turned into this Borscht Belt Museum. And there's, you know, a good set of space inside for that. So it should have some nice displays. And I think they are hunting around for or everything from photos of enormous swimming pools with crowds of people uh, to dining hall pictures to comedian pictures. And it will celebrate the Borscht Belt, which we should note. Uh, particularly from its effect in um, releasing into American culture, particularly Jewish comedy, stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy existed before and aside from this, but it got an enormous hit, enormous push forward uh, from the Borscht Belt hotels. And just run the names through your head, whether it's Buddy Hackett through, oh my Lord, it just goes on and on, all the way up to Seinfeld. The whole panoply, a, a galaxy of names and stars, John River, there's just so many, and they all added something to American culture, which is now a very established pattern of stand-up comedy. Now, it wasn't, as, I, as the point I was going to make, it wasn't just Jewish, but it became that, and then it's become everything. There's not just, not Jewish now, it's everybody. And it's been become a kind of a national and even a global kind of phenomenon. And that really began in these hotels here in the Catskills with the Jewish audience coming up from the city and the suburbs in the summers in the 50s and the 60s to see Woody Allen one one weekend, uh, to see, uh, you know, just there's so many names. I, my mind freezes <laughs> that bathroom. But um, so that's going to be commemorated in, in this Borscht Belt Museum, which will become another thing for tourists to visit and look at, another a symbol of the Catskills in our area. So that's another thing that we should think about. That's going to be good. Oh, let's think. Let's think. Let's think. There's also, oh, yes, politics. Ellenville had a political change. We should just note this because Ellenville's mayor, Jeff Kaplan, had been 
in the seat for 22 years, uh, which is a pretty good time for anyone to be running a municipality up in, up here in this area. Uh, but he went into an election against somebody. And I guess over 22 years, you can annoy enough people that you can expect to have a tough ride. And he did. The Shangram Journal uh, hosted a debate between himself and the new mayor who won the election, Evan Trent, uh, who is an IT guy at the Ellenville School District. Um, and Evan won, I would say, six, I think roughly about 60% to 40% over Jeff. So it's pretty emphatic. Um, Jeffrey had to basically retire. I hope to continue to talk to him now and then because he's an absolutely invaluable source of information about things, but he's no longer the mayor. And Evan Trent has had his first village board meeting, which was, is a kind of a historical event because after 22 years, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a change, serious change. That was a, an, an interesting, a perhaps inevitable political realignment in the village of Allenville. Um, yeah, that was those, this year was the year of the local elections. And like I said, you had changes there in Ellenville. And we all sat here in Sullivan County with the change of the legislature. And next year, we all got to prep and get ready for the congressional races and the state senator races and all those coming up uh, next year. So it'll be, and of course, the presidential race. So that will be all into the mix there. Oh, yeah. Next year will be a year of politics. But meanwhile, here in New York, we have to watch and see what happens in terms of realignment of districts. Yeah, is had again the redistricting lines yeah. already. Uh, that's going to be add another layer to this election year coming up. No, we'll have to see that. The last time around, the Democrats thought they could just do it and then get away with an outrageous gerrymander. And uh, <laughs> Democratic judges said no, that didn't happen. And that may be why we have a Republican House at this point, because I think the Democrats lost four seats out of New York. Next time around, I think the Democrats are going to try to make sure they don't lose four seats. So we'll see. Uh, how that works out. If they can control themselves, maybe that will, maybe that will be reversed. We'll have to see what happens, but that will be coming and there'll be a fight over that and back to the court and, and on. But then there will be election season and our uh, congressional seats will be contested. So, but that's next year. So we've just got to suck in a few breaths and get ready, <laughs> ready for that before it starts. Um, so yeah. Um, uh, oh yeah, we had some other mysterious stories as well that I should not, we should not forget. Okay. Almost, we've almost forgotten it now, but back in early March, there was a sudden flurry of activity on, in Ulster Heights, on Ulster Heights Road with, I believe it was FBI and lots of vehicles came up and men were rushing around into the woods and returning with Nobody knew quite what, whether it was bags, were they bodies? It was one of those things. And the headline had to be, body found in Ulster Heights Woods linked to organized crime case. And it was all about a very rather old case that was still seeking solution. And the FBI people came and they ran around in the woods for a day or two. And then they went away again and silence returned. And so we haven't heard of any real solution to that one. But for a day or so, it really set tongues flapping. It was like, I think at one point, somebody told me they found a dozen bodies. I think it's wrong to that. It tells you the power of the rumor mill here. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah, it was a crazy day. Every phone call. Have you heard? 
Yeah, blah, 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 blah. And you really have to keep your head together on that and say, yes, mm-hmm, okay, show me whatever. <laughs> well, how about we talk about some of the, some environmental stuff? We talked about the wildfires. I talked with, that was somebody recently. This was also, remember the summer of the wildfires. We had a couple of wildfires, some here in, in, in Sullivan County, some in Ulster County. Just looking ahead at the new year, I wonder what more wildfires or what more wild weather we are going to get due to climate change. Every week we can see the effects of climate change because, well, right now we have a big El Nino. And uh, the interesting oddity of this particular El Nino is the development of a massive bubble of high pressure out over the middle Atlantic, which is very unusual. In fact, maybe unique. And what that does is channels the weather up and down or up the east coast of the U.S., and over on the other side of the Atlantic, it's channeling cold weather down across British Isles and Denmark and Scandinavia. Uh, the whole issue is you warm the atmosphere slightly, you get more energy in the atmosphere, and the atmosphere reacts by a different set of sets of weather. Um, it's, it's going to be a challenge for us, especially those who are here in 20 to 30 years. You're really going to be getting some challenges then. What we notice here is that so far, the warming in our area uh, is showing itself in milder winters. Hooray! But the issue there is we don't have the snowpack. We don't have uh, that two or three feet of snow uh, in February that then melts and recharges aquifer and ground groundwater. Um, yeah, that has a huge know, effect on, on what happens in spring and summer. It has a huge effect on the wildlife. Just thinking about yeah. Facebook has a great way of reminding you of things in the past, obviously, with their Facebook memories. And I'm just looking back a couple of years ago, I think it was five, seven years ago, we had, I have photos in my phone of, uh, we have three foot of snow, see three feet of snow uh, around this time, around Christmas time. Uh, but now in the past two, three years, we have not gotten really a significant snowfall uh, like we used to do it here um, in the Catskills. You've absolutely, I have this conversation with our wonderful snowplow guy every year now about how I'd much prefer to have two feet of snow than to have an inch of sleet, uh, some freezing rain on top of that, an inch of, a little inch or two of snow on that, and then more sleet and then more freezing rain. With that kind of stuff, especially once it freezes, you can't do anything. It's there. Snowblower won't touch it. Nothing will do anything with that. And that's more and more what we're getting rather than getting a nice, clean one, two feet of snow. Over to the meteorologist, guys. That's, that's the reason we're all, we all watch the Hudson Valley weather anxiously in the months of December, January, February, and March. But we'll have to see whether or not we're ever going to get real snow again. It seems like we're, it, we know that it's all moving north. We know that different kinds of trees are going to be coming in and other kinds of trees will fade out. Well, Chris, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining me on the local edition. And thank you for joining me on the local edition for every Friday this this past year. Thank you so much for your reporting in Ellenville and Ulster County, letting us know what's happening there. And also joining me on the Reporters' Roundtable every month. We're talking to Chris Rowley from the Schwank Journal, looking back at the year that was 2023. So that does it for the local edition. I want to say thank you, everyone this past year for tuning in listening to our podcast for liking our posts on social media whatever you did to support us thank you so much it's been a really really great year and i really look forward to 2024 and what it what holds what it holds for the local edition and for radio chat skill because now we have a really a morning show and an evening show so it's really great to have 
this local content coming in. And just look back in our podcast if you miss any of our shows. Because uh, there's just been some really great content, I have to say. I'm a little biased in this part, but I have to say it's been really, really great. Some great content coming out of uh, both shows this past year. And I said, we look forward to the new year. We look forward. We thank you all, thankful for all our, our new news connections that we have made this past year. New York Focus, uh, Spotlight PA, uh, you know, our new reporter for the River Reporter, Chris Rowley, Derek Hurt for the Democratic Philip. Pontuso from the Times Union. It's really great to have all these news partners all joining together and really bringing out the stories out to you, out to our listeners. And it's really great that this has happened this past year. And I really look forward to next year and and forging these these relationships and making them even stronger. So again, thank you everyone. Have a safe, safe weekend. Have a good night, Lucy. Happy New Year, everyone. Take care. I'll see you on the flip side. Support comes from Jeff Bank, Sullivan County's Community Bank, celebrating 110 years of service this year.